Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Raw Review Podcast. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw Smackdown NXT 2.0. Oh! Dynamite Rampage pay-per-views, we conduct wrestler interviews, hold roundtable discussions, and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Hamlet, it's Raw during Survivor Series season. <laughs> I can't summon a single thought on this product. I have no idea how anybody else can, which is suboptimal considering we do a podcast on it professionally. Yeah, um, you open this as Wilborn does, I guess, to discuss everything that happened. Nothing happens. We are discussing everything that happened on a show where nothing happens, and this is every week. And I, I don't like the um, the thought of our listeners, uh, regular and brilliant as they are, hearing this and thinking that we're not mindful of the privilege that we get to talk about wrestling as part of our jobs. But this wrestling gives you nothing to talk about. So it's not the idea that, oh, I have, to, I have to sit and watch a wrestling show. It's that I watch this wrestling show and it becomes nearly impossible to summon thoughts on it. There were a couple of things that uh, I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to talking about, but I feel like there are actual points that you can drag from them. But it has never felt more like... I'll give you a, a slight analogy that I thought of this morning as I was watching it. I am, to the last, somebody that believes in... This won't surprise you. People over machines. I resent the invention of the uh, supermarket self-checkout of the McDonald's screen. Pick a version of technology that used to be somebody's job. I would rather have somebody back in that job. Somehow, WWE, a business and an industry, the model of which has to involve human beings, has almost made all of its wrestlers as the self-checkouts on McDonald's touchscreens. Like, I'm watching matches that feel like the human beings are no longer in the roles. I am seeing promos being cut that feel like they are being cut by the, as the machine that tells you to have a nice day and to rescan your vegetables. I, I don't know how they've done it, but it is the, the constant promotion of the brand and the constant promotion of the style writ so large that I am no longer seeing human beings, performers, as we are told they are, I'm no longer even seeing them in front of me. It feels that bot driven at this point and that's not even this is really bad it's this doesn't even exist a, a product almost doesn't exist in front of my very eyes some weeks and that was this raw when it's really bad and we rip the piss out of it then there's actually still some life to it there's a pulse to it this was not that it's just chronically uninteresting the same people in it who either have been there forever or feel like they've been forever doing stakes, devoid, pretty bland, capital G, capital W, good wrestling that ultimately serves zero purpose. It's, just, it's impossible, but we'll just have to get through it, I guess. We'll try and do some jokes. There will be no five-star review review today just to um, dampen your mood even further <laughs> um, because... I was too busy to watch it and compile notes. I don't know how Wilborn does it, um, but I have to write stuff as well because that's my more prominent job. So we're not going to do that. Um, we could have skipped everything as a gimmick, 
But that wouldn't yeah. get us a bad rollout. We might as well profit from this utter bollocks. But Biggie <laughs> starts the show and cuts a promo. Um, he tries to balance two issues. One, the more pressing concern, surely, is the match you need to promote at Survivor Series. But from a character perspective, given the events of last week, he is principally interested in calling out Kevin Owens. And even though last week, Kevin Owens beat Big E to an ostensible bloody pulp. There is an invisible wall, which, because Kevin Owens is great and he has the freedom to do so, he acknowledges that it's an invisible wall. So there is that. Um, he is summoned after Big E says that um, Roman Reigns put their Roman Reigns and his cousins put their hands on his family, and now he needed to beat his ass like they stole something. And in a line I hated, he said. He hopes there were empty hospital beds in Brooklyn. Now, whenever I hear the phrase empty hospital beds, I think of the absolute pandemic that is just <laughs> not yeah. going away and it's just kind of is now. So, I mean, I'd rather personally hope that there were empty hospital beds available for people who've, um, unfortunately, <laughs> despite being double vaccinated, are the rare cases that need those hospital beds. That's what I would hope for, personally. Not that Roman Reigns and the Usos go in them. I thought that was a really um, insensitive and ill-advised line. But regardless, after he builds the match with Roman Reigns, stemming from SmackDown, Owens interrupts, um, says that he blames Big E for costing him his third straight loss since returning to Raw. He was tired of Big E's constant accusations. And then he welcomes, embraces the fact that he is a bad guy, but he's not going to be a bad guy. He's going to be even worse than that. He's going to break bad on every single wrestler in the back and on Big E especially. And uh, Big E, in response to that, demands Owens comes to the ring, but then he retreats and goes to the back instead, breaks his promise as a heel. In a halfway decent version of the tripe we get every single week, the Usos blindside Big E with no entrance music, because why would there be mm. entrance music ever? They beat him up, summon Riddle to the ring to make the save, which actually branches off a long simmering story development that Randy Orton has been insistent upon this entire time. Stay out of other people's business because the more you don't do that, the more I get drawn into matches and beatdowns, which I can't be bothered with. Call me crazy, call me pedantic, call me someone with a self-vested interest in all of this. But when Riddle also doesn't come out to entrance music, it feels less staged. It feels like a generally mm. naturalistic thing. And even though it was a trope that leads to a tag team match that in itself leads to a six-man tag, the crowd were kind of hot before we got to the match. Do you think the actual sense of these are real people doing real things had anything to do with that? Or was it just, oh, that's a star that I like and that's a star that I like? Uh, probably somewhere in the middle of those two, actually. I thought the, um, I, I didn't hate the, this is the problem. I didn't hate the Big E, Kevin Owens stuff. I just, I, it's very hard to love it. It wasn't so power packed with emotion or drive. There was motivation of the characters like basement level motivation, but nothing that it just has you pumping your fist in the air for the eventual meeting of Big E and Kevin Owens. If anything, what they've sort of failed to do with Owens is address any kind of lingering feelings that he's half out the door. This is as good a half out the door program as they can do with him. Turn him heel, have him put the champion over on the way out as a, as a sizable star. But this doesn't address the reality that he might. And really, WWE's job should be to like present it as if he's not leaving and as if this is the biggest deal because otherwise the whole thing becomes predictable. The whole thing just feels like you're watching a guy spinning his wheels. And if he looks like he's spinning his wheels, it's not going to be as impactful when Biggie goes over him. Um, the example of how to do that right would be Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. People assumed with the Roman Reigns-Daniel Bryan feud that, oh, he's leaving SmackDown because he was going to Raw. Nobody in their wildest dreams imagined that he was leaving legit and he might go to AEW. You have to present the star as a star in order for the big win, which Big E will eventually get, to register. And instead, Owens just still feels a guy that's like running down the clock. So it's, it's tricky. I, I like the pairing. I like the, the fundamental idea behind it, but I, I don't hugely love the execution at present. I did, however, like everything else. 
Um, sort of what you've alluded to there, the idea that this was natural, that the users have picked their spot rather than waiting for the sound guy to queue up their entrance music. Similarly, Riddle doing the same. And I think it's gone a little bit understated because the whole Survivor Series build has gone understated that um, Big E and Roman Reigns is the first, first ever, maybe, the first ever champion versus champion match that had an issue attached to it first. I don't think I can ever remember since they started doing these every time that they've thought to attach a like an emotional reason for the fight. And there was this lingering New Day bloodline stuff that has now morphed into the bloodline taking out Kofi and Xavier while Big E wasn't there to even the sides. Quite like that. And as you say, the dovetailing story of yep. <laughs> Riddle and Randy's um, own conflict and the fact that this was otherwise just tag team champions fight each other, that now too has been sort of sucked into this. So RK Bro and the Usos, it's kind of a splinter issue of the Big E Roman one. Don't hate that either. There's more heat in both those matches than there is in Nakamura versus Damian Priest. Um, so a rare case where it's too little too late because it's a week till the pay-per-view, but we have two of the champion versus champion matches that actually have some emotional resonance rather than just belts versus belts. And I cannot remember them, that they've ever done that. There's actually been some thought applied to the build and how it stems from the respective events of each show across several Th different Sorry, characters. three? Three because of the women? Sorry, like all yeah. three, actually. I mean, it's quite staggering and mm -hmm. striking how they've managed to do this with a bit of thought. I mean, it's still opening segment gets interrupted. Authority figure turning heel makes impromptu match. You've got all of these hellscape words that you have to use to describe this segment. But again, and we'll yet again, or I will yet again say, by the curve of WWE's rotten format, this is genuinely quite good by their standards. Uh, the um, Big E and Riddle versus Usos match goes less than three minutes. I'll never remember a single thing involved in it. Um, Big E throws JR Jimmy Uso. It was all happening so fast I couldn't quite um, report <laughs> into Rollins. Rollins um, just jumped in and attacked Big E for the disqualification. And if he's a visionary, as Cole <laughs> called him at least 15 times on this goddamn show, if he's a visionary, why didn't he see a six-man tag coming? And if Sonia Deville is turning heel, why did she punish Seth Rollins, the professional wrestler, by having him do his job and wrestle a professional wrestling match? This is all so bad, and I will point it out every single time, even if the crowd are into it. No, and no, he's I'm... such a visionary that he came out in his wrestling gear instead of his suit. Oh, Christ. He, he knew that his actions would have those exact consequences. because Instead a, of his uh, usual drip? I mean, he's a in drip. I mean, and, uh, it could not <laughs> be poetic. And the six-man tag match goes about uh, 12, 13 minutes. It's all action. It's all back and forth. It's a not very good version of a Young Bucks trios match that will never ever get compared unfavorably to it by uh, the mutants who usually do that you know I've sworn off calling them mutants I feel sorry for these people on Twitter now but sometimes nice. sometimes it still kind of pisses me off when I see these criticisms when I see this bias understand me <laughs> um, I guess it was good it was basically a match in which one person performs a move, they turn around, they are struck with a different move, they sell it, and the person who gives the move eventually turns back around and gets hit with a different move. It's every WWE multi-man match you've ever seen, and it ends when Seth Rollins pins Riddle with a roll-up, mm. of course, yeah. um, after giving him consecutive elbows to the back of the head. They pin Riddle a lot. Like mm. they've been riddle an awful lot, um, given the reactions he gets. I don't necessarily see the wisdom in that, but nor do I care much about it. Uh, what did you think of the match? The pin and riddle thing is only not an issue because nothing in WWE matters. It's we say this, it's, uh, it's yeah. the, the thing that we curse them for as reviewers is the stuff that allows them to get away with doing whatever they want. Um, riddles, yeah, I'm loath to give him like loads of credit, really, but objectively. Like that hot tag went down a storm. Yeah, he's and he came in, he and he know, and he know he knows how to work that WWE hot tag to the point where you can see Vince's eyes lighting up as he watches him on the monitor. I watched this match, and there was so little to draw from it that felt like it had any long-standing implications. 
But that last couple of minutes, before he was fucking rolled up as well, but like that last couple of minutes, all I could see was either, well, either or all, um, Riddle being heavy, heavy Royal Rumble favourite or them looking at the RK Bro split as a WrestleMania match and Riddle getting a big win over Randy Orton at WrestleMania and being positioned as like, the, you know, the guy, our guy, whatever you want to call it for 2022. All I could see was he's getting something big at WrestleMania. Like he has reached a point where he cannot fail. He's Teflon to these losses that he constantly takes. So this is the guy getting like flattened by Omos in three minutes a few weeks back. The guy that's there to be the fall guy for the RK bro dynamic. The one that's constantly, do you know what? Like, again, it's it's funny that because this was maybe a turning point for his character and his relationship with Vince McMahon, but he's very much become the asker of the male division. He's Teflon to whatever they do. The sillier the backstage stuff, almost you imagine the more over he gets with the office, perhaps. Yes. Um, it does sort of feel like he can't fail at this point in terms of a, when they do eventually decide to go into that top gear in terms of his push, I can't see it failing. Nor me, nor me. Um, we come backstage, uh, Mackenzie Mitchell gives an interview to Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair um, sends a message. Christ, speaking of seeing it failing, Jesus Christ, Bianca yeah. Belair. God Send damn it. message to Dewdrop. And if you've got a problem with me, I'll give you a fight. Um, Dewdrop's proxy, Tamina. Um, the development everyone wants to see. Interrupts the interview and says that she wants a fight with Belair first. And Belair was like, okay, why not? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people were like, well, why? But it was Belair who's, you know, got the power to make her own matches. Uh, so she <laughs> said, uh, why not? Um, we go elsewhere in the backstage area where Sarah Schreiber catches up with Kevin Owens. She said, you're not much of a stand-up guy after you claimed that you would meet Big E in the ring. And Owens just outwardly said, yeah, I was lying. And uh, he asked her if you were paying attention. Just boilerplate standard heel stuff there. Um in the second consecutive interrupted segment, hey, my life at the moment, and Finn Balor, the protected at Extreme Rules, incidentally, mm. Finn Balor, approaches Kevin Owens, and Balor says, I wish I was there last week to tell you to your face that you didn't trust him. Why didn't R-Truth do that? Oh, because you don't ask an idiot a question like that. Um, Balor, you're in a rare bit in an absolutely rare and far too late, but halfway welcome, I guess, acknowledgement of how this show every single week morphs into something that it wasn't going to be when it was announced. Says that he was actually faced to sche- uh, schedule the face Seth Rollins tonight. Was he? Did I see that advertised? <laughs> I think I, that was one of them late Twitter things that just for the purpose of changing it here, wasn't it? Like, I'm sure that existed. If it existed as a graphic, it was only so that it could be altered here to... To give you that idea of anything can happen, everything can change. Whereas that once used to be this idea of booked spont- like spontaneous events rather than because this company's on its arse creatively. Yes. And uh, basically, Balor was scheduled to face Rollins tonight, but the authority told mm. him, <laughs> <laughs> get Stephanie McMahon coming back and ke- for three consecutive hours telling the roster they're all useless twats. <laughs> I will pack this job in if that's the case. Truly, I can't I can't deal with Stephanie McMahon anymore. I really can't. That, that would be the final straw I expect for me. Anyway, a match happens because, of course, it does. And then, speaking of matches that happen, um, Bianca Belair defeats Tamina in four minutes, 38 of a not particularly great match. It functions, Ugh. realistically, to tell the audience that Bianca Blair's going to have no problem with Dewdrop because when she's faced against an opponent bigger than her, she's got freakish strength. That was the entire story of the match. And uh, obviously, Bianca Blair wins it in the aftermath. Dewdrop comes to the stage and says that, I'm not going to come out and beat you up, or words to that effect, words to that effect but I will see you um, after Survivor Series. Not particularly heelish. Just oh, feels like a fair man. competitive bit of spirit here. Um, the match... <sighs> Went four minutes thirty-eight, incidentally, and was not good. The match was not good at all. Um, I'm sort of despairing a little bit at the the placement of Bianca Belair at the moment. It's I should like it when you were proven right, but I never do. I'm I'm not the type of person that likes to just willfully bury something or be critical of something in the hope that I can just take a victory lap because 
when the Aguilar lost to Becky Lynch and I got very, very worried, there was, a, you know, a not inconsiderate amount of people that were back on the let it play out and see where it goes train. And my issue, you know, I'm saying my, loads of people know this. This is not some sort of, I don't think you need to have been watching this all your life to have these thoughts about WWE. My, my issue wasn't a single issue with this angle, this Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch angle and how it might play out and what the quality of the matches might be or anything like that. It was like, where might Bianca Belair be in three to six months as a result of this SummerSlam loss? And just there was red flags everywhere in the very idea that they allowed themselves to think about Becky Lynch beating Bianca Belair in 26 seconds. Like, huge red flags, regardless of how they were going to book around it after the fact. It felt bigger than just making a problem for themselves that they then had to fix. And sure enough, it has shown itself before Survivor Series. That was only SummerSlam where she lost to Becky Lynch. She feels redundant already. This match wasn't very good. But Tamina doesn't have a lot of great matches. You know, the only EST you would tie to her family name would be that her dad was the luckiest. You know, like she's not known for these bangers. And right now, Bianca Belair needs as many matches as possible that present, you know, she's winning, obviously, but like as many matches as possible that reheat her in from a perception and optics point of view in time for the Royal Rumble to be positioned as a favourite, not just because, but because she's still as great as she ever was, apart from this bad patch that she went through in this Becky Lynch feed. And it's not coming across that way at all. And I almost want to say the same for Dude Rap because she was really well respected as as Piper Niven or as Viper. And we never even got, a, that never even got a sniff because she came in as Eva Marie's idiot mate and then was a babyface idiot mate and is now a heel idiot mate. Or just an idiot, I guess. She's not friends with anybody. Nobody likes anybody in this company. Um, and <laughs> this is the sort of thing that would have... Bianca Belair versus Piper Niven is the sort of thing that would have taken place on a 2018 NXT TakeOver and we would have had an absolute blast with it. The build stinks and I can't think of anything worse than watching this match on a Raw. Uh, it's just incredibly bad like just on that i think we did a question you most want answers pod um in the immediate aftermath of well becky lynch has just beaten um bianca blair in this program and someone who's still invested can't remember who said well how do wwe recover bianca blair and i said i'm not being funny but they kind of don't if you mm -hmm. look at who she has to work with in this division as it stands in 2021, which is absolutely knackered. And we're seeing that manifested with this. Um, but as you said, like in a much fairer way, there is an alternate universe in which this could be excellent. Yeah. And it, and it won't be because it's on Raw, which is a default, automatically bad television show. The following promo wasn't bad by any means. It became bad because WWE's anti Midas touch stuff. But before it got bad, for the most obviously apparent reasons that they didn't foresee and anybody else did it was really good uh becky lynch comes out she decides to build the charlotte flair um champion versus champion match at survivor series um in a sort of worked shoot promo she addresses charlotte reminds her that she used to be her best friend happy for her and there for her after every single title she won but more importantly she was also the shoulder to cry on when things didn't go her way before she realized that being friends with Charlotte meant being stuck in the background. Uh, she was tired of that. She slapped Charlotte in the face, entered a new stratosphere. In a somewhat hypocritical line, she reveals that Charlotte Flair was just a one-note rip-off of somebody else, which is crazy coming from Mrs. Conor McGregor, <laughs> which has been playing. And uh, Charlotte subsequently became so jealous of Lynch's success that she hated herself and was so bitter that she didn't know who she was anymore but if she doesn't know who she is charlotte flair that is she's gonna know who becky lynch is because she's gonna remind her after she beats the piss out of her um belief rhythm intent this is an excellent excellent promo and i don't even want to caveat by wwe standards because i thought becky mm. was incredible form here the reason why it's bad and the reason everything is bad is because they are bad and they can't do anything good for long Becky Lynch is playing the default babyface, I expect, on Sunday, purely because the fans are behind Christ her. I, 
knee where she's getting booed against Charlotte Flair. She's not, getting, not in a million years. She doesn't get booed against Bianca Belair, who people seem to like. No. <laughs> Yeah. Like Charlotte Flair, she's not getting booed against Charlotte Flair, and they were halfway sensible enough to grasp that. Do an effective babyface promo mm-hmm. just to build a match on Sunday. The issue is they're building stuff beyond Sunday at the same time. And Liv Morgan interrupts, who they presumably wish to position as a babyface subsequent to Survivor Series against Becky Lynch. And it doesn't work because people have just had like evidence of why they really, really like Becky Lynch given to them like three seconds before the interruption. Liv Morgan's promo um, gets absolute crickets and it's not particularly well delivered. Um, Liv Morgan's one of those performers that has this natural connection and a Stan Army, in fact, with a certain section of WWE fans, but the scripting does her no favours whatsoever. She comes off as a loser. She comes off entitled to opportunities. And we know on a meta level that, yes, as much as true, everyone saw her documentary. But when mm. you get reminded by Becky Lynch of, not to TV, wins and losses matter. And you haven't performed, it's like, ah, uh, it's just a total mess of, yeah, that's true, but also what she's saying is true and everything's ruined, so I can't invest in any of it. And um, Becky Lynch then goes full burial and says that Liv Morgan is underwhelmed in Becky Lynch's absence, whereas Becky Lynch came back after 18 months of having a kid and won the title in 26 seconds, all the same stuff that she's been saying quite a lot. And she had no idea that Morgan would underperform some so badly some people have it some don't and that's the worst character to say that to the worst character because the gulf between them was never more apparent when they shared the same ring wwe probably sensed that this is heading in that direction so they tried to salvage it with a line of the script where she refers to big time bex as just a big time witch in a decent flash of what they could do together Lynch tries to attack Morgan, but Morgan does a really nice arm drag reversal and Lynch escapes, which isn't escape from someone who's like a threat to her title because she's just told us that she's not a big enough star to take it from her. Yeah, they, um, the commitment to Morgan was given to the visual with the belt, wasn't it? They at least allowed that image to be out there for people to get excited about. And it, that that's quite smart because what they've got in Liv Morgan more than anything is that brand of their fan base you know the people that want to take a screenshot or want to take an image and just manifest it with that little sparkly star emoji and that's you know like that's where you're at with Liv Morgan more than perhaps what she can offer as a promo based on the evidence here it's, un- it's unfortunate because sometimes like and we've all had favorites with the best will in the world it's only when you see them in that position that you go oh like I, this is I'm not particularly picking on him but do you remember how short Rhino looked when he signed for WWE? Yes, <laughs> having, having watched him in ECW, it was so jarring, wasn't it? It's was like, oh god, he's little. Vince is right, you know, like the. Um, and, and we've all had that experience, and it's a tough one to go through. But you know, they committed to giving her the belt, and it, it was so tough because I completely agree with your assessment of the the promo that she cut on Charlotte. It was just it was detailed in all the right ways without um, abusing kayfabe too liberally. I think, which they are far too guilty of doing now because you. You like the further you talk about reality, the easier it is to veer into the everything's fake apart from what you're watching right now, which is real, which therefore undermines the rest of the show. And wrestling's are working that segment, but when it gets to Survivor Series, they're not working together, brother. And they're like, well, they are because you're not picking her up a deadlift for a suplex, so you are working together. Like it's, and they didn't cross that line. Is the point I'm making? I thought Becky like managed it perfectly. The problem was it was this flashback to the man that was far too stark for the what you got next. The Liv Morgan thing could have waited for next week. It really, it really could have waited. We are no longer in the era of Becky Lynch. I'm going to use two comparisons to Steve Austin because that was always the comparison made to the man at her height and at her peak. Um, we're no longer at the point in 1997 where Steve Austin can cut through the Heart Foundation and then stun mankind because DTA make and he would still get a pop. Uh, we're at the point where Steve Austin would say, I'm going to find out who ran me over and stun a heel. And then also stun Scotty too hot. People just like, it's like, Steve, you miserable bastard, fuck off. Like, we're at that point with Becky Lynch. Like, she can't get away with one and then the other anymore. We're in 2000 era Austin rather than 1997 Austin. And it's a shame because the work of the first section was badly undermined by an interesting detail that I wanted more of, which was... Becky Lynch telling Liv Morgan when she went off on maternity that you're going to be you're going to be the the the, the rising star around here. You're going to have this belt, 
I want more of that. I don't then want the John Cena conclusion of, but you suck. Yeah. Like, a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Thanks, Liv. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm interested in the Becky Lynch that told Liv Morgan that she was going to be somebody, not the one that tells her that she's nothing because I therefore don't have to buy that she might be another pay for you, do I? It's, it's the same old, same old in that regard. Um, they were reaching too big. Too much bitch. Too much nonsense. I'm hyped for Sunday. I'm hyped for Charlotte. I want to watch that. I'm hyped... Because they had a fight backstage, not because anything in the doing the scripting was <laughs> sensible enough to play off it. Um, we go backstage. Orton tells Riddle off for trying to play the hero yet again. Uh, Riddle, in response, tries to explain himself, but pissed off Orton as absolutely having none of it. The only thing that Randy cares about <laughs> is this team and these titles, and a little spark goes off in Riddle's idiotic head. Randy, <laughs> why do you care about me? And Orton, who, like, this says quite a bit about his type, right? Mm-hmm. And the type of character he is. When he plays against type, he's always a million times better than when he's playing Randy Orton. Because his, yep. oh, you've got that you little idiot prick. His reaction was great. Uh, this was actually genuinely quite well done, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again like a, a lot from this show clued me into the fact that they're starting to see the breakup as a as a WrestleMania season program, if not an acceleration for the benefit of getting Riddle into a title match. I'd like it wasn't just this show, but it was something I could feel. They 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 found something in RK Bro that has been lost of late, which I think is the is the charm of what put them together in the first place. It was there was this weird. I don't want to compare them to Nia Jackson and Shayna Baszler because that team was a train wreck, but. There's, there was a weird, like, normalisation of the Riddle and Randy Orton relationship that took away what was so much fun about their coming together, and they seem to find that this week. And again, you can always tell with WWE which characters they care about, and Riddle is one of them, because he's involved in his own thing, which is with Randy Orton, really. That's who Riddle's involved in an angle with, is Randy Orton. But he involved himself in the work of two others, which was the Usos at the start of the night and the Street Profiteer. And it, that always, to me, WWE are incapable of hiding when they're actually onto something. And I just think when you have a character, who was this with recently? Where there was what it was um, Corbin when he was on his arse. It was that character that was being thought about. And when you think about a character, all of a sudden the universe opens up and you can integrate this character. It's not just, 
I am feuding with you and you alone. It is, well, like a real person, I can have different interactions with the other people that I work with. And Riddle had this here. And I think that shows you the attention that they're paying to him and they, they understand who he is. And it doesn't become about, you are only allowed to talk to the person you're feuding with. It becomes, I can bounce off several other people because I'm fully formed. Gimmicks, gimmicks sell t-shirts with spliffs on. Characters sell storylines with other wrestling performers. And I think that's what we have with Riddle here. Yeah, we have uh, the Street Profits do a little bit backstage with Riddle as well and a halfway decent bit of formatting um, by mm. WWE standards because they're actually up next in action against Alpha Academy. They defeat them in 11 minutes and this is the I'm an ungrateful prick portion of the uh, podcast because this was like really good mm. and genuinely quite witty a point action that I failed to give a toss about because... We've kind of seen this one a million times over the past calendar year, just with blue ropes instead of red ropes. There's one fabulous segment of the match where Montez Ford is trying to, like, wear down the resistance of Otis, and Otis is just no-selling it. And Otis, who has similarities to Rhino in terms of his build, because yep. of how well this sequence was constructed, looked, like, three foot taller and three mm -hmm. foot wider. It looked like this absolute machine that you couldn't do anything against because Ford slapping the piss out of him, slapping the piss out of him and he gets so tired at slapping this brick wall that he just does more fatigue slaps and fatigue slaps. It made Otis look great in this match. Gable looked great in this match. It was a really fun little match um, in general and the finish was pretty awesome, I thought. Um, Gable tried to do a flying cross body on Ford but he rolled through um, into the cover for the pinfall win but Gable's timing on the crossbody was so sensational oh. that I genuinely thought that he's got him here. And there was that little, like, elusive burst of adrenaline when you realise, oh, no, it's been reversed because you thought that was the finish. I thought this was one of the better matches that I've seen on Raw in quite some time. So much better, in fact, than these weird 25-minute matches that genuinely do the job of an angle. Mm, it was... Um, this was... Good in that way that it was almost frustrating, I think, because Gable has been enjoying a little a little run. He gets these every now and then, isn't he? A little run of great matches on Raw, but we've seen it a million times with him, and you know it never takes. I know the other week I pitched a master chat. It seems like they're going to be talking about his, his, his grade point average, so he'll probably end up as average chat by the time that Gable Stevenson comes in and he loses his name. Cool. Like, it just... I don't know. I, that was coming up a lot this week, so I, I don't know. It just feels like everything's always forced. Um, this reminds me, actually, we haven't talked about the, over the desk this morning because we never talk about over the desk. Um, but did you see, you might skip through them. Did you see the WrestleMania trailers on this show? No. There was a lot of Stephanie McMahon content, so I don't blame you for not. Try and track them down, if you like, because... No. The <laughs> this is great. I'm glad to be able to break this to you. Super quickly, by the way, what I was going to say was Gable great as always. Gable and Otis really good fun. Should do more with them. Street profits so good. I wish they worked somewhere else. Um, I for the longest time have been saying on our SmackDown reviews and previews when they were on there, Montez Ford is so good. This was one of those rare cases where I would have understood why Vince wanted to break that team up because he's radiates mega star potential. But I think I've probably been unfair to Angelo Dawkins because he contributes way more to that overall package than I've probably given credit for. They were they were great here, and I wish they worked somewhere else. Um, yeah, anyway, back to the important things. Are you ready, Cedric, for what is going to... In my, I could have just said this this one week, and it never happens again. But something was mandated this week. And, you know, in WWE mandate stuff, and Vincent Man says, right, get it said, get it said, get it said. We saw it on a WrestleMania ticket sales. Are you ready for WrestleMania? Da, da, da. And then Michael Cole um, like, was clearly coming through the headset to Jimmy Smith and it was getting said. And I just thought, here we go, this is it. Your, what culture's preeminent wordsmith? Would you like to guess? You are, I'll give you three guesses on a three-syllable word that is going to be the word that WWE hammers over the head with to describe WrestleMania this year. I think I saw um, the guy from Post Wrestling tweet it. Oh, okay. Stupendous. Stupendous? <laughs> like it came stupendous, up... pal! Yeah, it was just like... It was something like the most stupendous two-night entertainment event in the world, whatever it was. And then it came back to Jimmy's earlier, it's going to be stupendous! And I was like... 
fucking stupendous. Is that really like, is that really what they're going with? Stupendous, Jesus Christ. That reminds me, that reminds me of the other weirdest bit of WWE copy I've ever heard and think of the ground that covers, et cetera, et cetera. Do you remember, I think it was 2019. And I can't remember the exact phrasing, so I'm paraphrasing here. They tried to goosey up one of the Saudi shows as yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crown Jewel is equivalent to or perhaps exceeds WrestleMania. Remember that one? <laughs> I do. But he perhaps exceeds WrestleMania. That was is I, that not the same? Not saying it. We're not saying it. You're the only one saying it ever. But I love the implication that that was the the, the same show was the same show was Seth Rollins versus the Fiend. And the stipulation was can't be stopped for any reason. Yes, that was an old. You look at the match graphic. There's just so many. There's more words than pictures. Odd. So I uh, perhaps succeed. You know, it's up for debate. It's not. You're just saying it, and you're the only ones who ever did. He is yeah. stupendous, and a picture like Adam Wilborn pulling braces out, stupendous, like clown ones, yes. snapping them back on himself, thumbs behind the braces. Well, I'm glad he said that, because we at WWE Speak acts as a tremendous, a stupendous segue into <laughs> Queen Zelina defeating <laughs> Nikki A.S.H. in 2 minutes 45 seconds, like it's a champion. Just a champion. Imagine them beating Phoenix in two minutes, 45 seconds on the other show. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Um, it tried to look a little... This is terrible as well. <laughs> terrible for how long it lasted, which is such a huge indictment on it. Like, Zelina was, like, trying to kick Nikki A.S.H. in the corner at one point, then realized she'd missed so completely that it was better to improvise and drag the back of a heel across Nikki A.S.H.'s neck and Nikki took like, oh, I'll bump for this, I guess. And it was just so phenomenally awkward, but she hits the gold red for the pinfall win, immediately following which Rhea Ripley defeats Carmella. In <laughs> None of this matters then. There's no. no sense that one tag team's better than the other. Even in terms of their stupid, oh, who's got the actual momentum here? It makes no sense because they've gone 50-50 in about 10 minutes. Um, I guess the Rhea Ripley versus Carmella match was marginally better. They got a little bit of a crowd reaction from Carmella's frightened squealing, getting punished with some pretty awesome Rhea Ripley power stuff, but it's, it's now to write home about. Of course it isn't. Um, Ripley comes back from a flurry of um, thrust kicks to just smack her with um, the ripside. And Zelina Vega, unfortunately for you, well, fortunately, unfortunately, what does it matter? Nothing does. <laughs> it literally said it. It doesn't bloody matter because Carmella and me are going to lead the team at Survivor Series. This was totally turd. This was rubbish. You just do the, the, the trophy WWE 50-50. Nobody gets over. Everybody ends up under. And it's for Zelina Vega to say, to tell you, that the last 10 minutes of your life was meaningless because we're going to we're gonna be the ones that are going to lead that team. And it's like, who's on the team? The person that just beat you. So why would she care either? Like, it's, why, why would anybody care about any of this? It's a total and utter nonsense. And I have to apologise because in my haste to do a good segue, I forgot that I didn't actually do a segue because earlier tonight before this uh, pair of utterly worthless and pointless um, women's tag team division stuff, um, we saw footage earlier in the night of Rey Mysterio confronting Adam Pearce. He said they had a verbal agreement that Dominic would be on the Raw team and said, uh, Pearce is a man of his word of, or, or not. Uh, Pearce, in response, said, stay in your lane and have a match with Bobby Lashley um, because he's somehow... Like, Adam Pearce is like a really respected guy, like, really respected in wrestling circles. And as a result, I feel like I don't want to resent him, but if he's going to play the role of a heel WWE main roster authority figure, like... No, just before he's... or after he was going to suspend Big E, his WWE champion. This is before. Ahead, ahead of the fucking Survivor Series against Roman Reigns. He's suspended Brock Lesnar, so if he suspends... An <laughs> is he just cutting out the talent? He's going to have no stars on the left on the show when there's a before. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to have he's going to suspend all the stars, and then somehow, because it always ends up this way, Baron Corbin gets a push. The character who the writers once blamed for the ratings tanking. The one guy is the only one that's going to be left. 
It's going to be like, you know, what, you know what we need on SmackDown? We need a bit more fun. Anybody got any jokes? Baron <laughs> Corbin's music hits. Jesus. I got, I got you, Scrap Iron. Scrap Daddy, whatever your name was when people respected you. Uh, they don't much anymore. Um, after the women's division double barrel shotgun to the temple of my own head. <laughs> Selena said that he, she and Carmella would lead Raw to victory while Nikki simply watched at home. And then we did get the segment. Michael Sidgwick, you may have your toe on the trigger, but we've got our foot on the Team Smackdown Survivor Series team's throat. <laughs> there we get the segment where he friends to suspend him. <laughs> after that. And uh, Pierce warned Big E that if he didn't listen to him and stay away from the Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens match, he had two words for you. He had two words for you. The guy has suspended indefinitely, which is not two words because he actually said Brock Lesnar. Why would Brock Lesnar do his bidding? What? Go man. Big E, you better stay out of all of this tonight because I need you for Survivor Series against Roman Reigns. In the meantime, I'm going to have my own team members battered in other matches on this show and last week. Everyone's fighting everybody else. But Big E, you better stay healthy for Sunday, brother. Big E, if you don't listen to me, there will be consequences. At the same time, I also really need Raw to be the other show I'm on. <laughs> Um, which won't happen if you don't listen to me. And I'll set Brock Lesnar on you, who will not do it because I've suspended him. This is absolute trash. This is absolute trash. You remember, I, I love now that WWE present day has replaced WCW 2000 as the go-to. Um, but you remember in, in that time, we were alive and people... There was enough conspiracy theorists out there that thought that Vince Russo had been sent to WWE yes. as, as a sleeper agent. Is Adam Pearce hashtag all elite? <laughs> he's just destroying both brands. Like, he's Tony Khan's sleeper agent. It's like, NXT, check. How can I bring down Raw and SmackDown at the same time? Here, I've got uh, a lot of your old uh, indie mates. Like, give me Adam Pearce's number. Get him on the phone. That's a more plausible explanation than anything <laughs> on this actual show itself. Uh, right. Following the Big E, Adam Pearce deal, um, Mackenzie Mitchell approaches Seth Rollins in the back because we need to hear from him again. He says, just like Zelina, he would lead Team Rona victory. <laughs> just like he led the Usos to victory tonight. <laughs> After surviving just, like he, just, like he just like he lost as the captain of Team Raw in 2019 and walked out and the captain of Team SmackDown in 2020. That's who this character yes, is. Terrible captain. That's who this character is. Like the last two years, he's been a disaster as a captain. Like 2019 was designed to orchestrate his heel turn because none of the Royal roster respected him. 2020, he rocked up, sad clown, and threw it and put himself out of the match as the captain of Team SmackDown. That's his whole deal at Survivor Series in the last two. I'm not even like, this is not a Hamlet thing where like, well, actually, I think you'll find in 2014, Seth Rollins. This is like the, his literal last two Survivor Series. He's in walking this out specific here. character as well. Yeah. In this specific character. Um, Seth Rollins, loser. That's going to do a bit then, but I can't be asked. Uh, following that, Wildly unnecessary Seth Rollins program, but you know it's got to fill three hours. And Kevin Owens does in fact defeat Finn Balor. Didn't quite get protected in Extreme Rules, did he? When now he's just a body to beat from someone who's going out the door. And then when he's out the door, Finn Balor will get a few wins and be expected to take him seriously as someone who matters going forward when they're just making up as they go along. But I protected him. They made him look like a complete dickhead, a complete geek, a fish. But he's been protected. Um, it's actually like really quite strong, this match. Because yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Um, there's a pop of power bomb near the finish that genuinely I bought the near fall and the crowd reacted to it because they just enjoy minimal bollocks, watching great wrestlers do great wrestling things. And uh, it's not a blow-away match or anything like that, but they got me at that near fall and I'm happy that they get any reaction out of me, much less one of actually being involved in the drama. The stunner wins it for um, Kevin Owens. The obvious results the logical result, but don't tell me that Finn Balor got protected at Extreme Rules because if you're telling me that, you're a total and utter hack who needs to put the Silver Vision videos away because that's gone. Do you goddamn get it? They don't matter anymore. It's literally a different company with a different name. Put them away. Put your Hasbro's in the cupboard <laughs> because none of that matters. 
to what this is anymore. Do you oh, understand God. what I'm saying to you right now? Michael says you because just bested all his foes there. Um, I love this match and I love matches similar to this match because I imagine, <laughs> you know, that scene in the office where Michael Scott tells Dwight that he's going to like make him listen as he steals his best client for the Michael Scott paper company. And he's got his phone on in the pocket and like Dwight's racing to get the client back and all this sort of stuff. And he's listening to the conversation. Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens. I just want to preface this. I hope Triple H is okay. Love an update. What's the update, Paul? Like, but I hope Triple H is all right, recovering. What are doing, Paul? From his um, from his cardiac event. But I love the idea. He's like, uh, gets a phone call. Like, it's, it's home in Connecticut. It's uh, nice work. How about nice to nice to thinking to me. Get a call. Oh yeah. Hi. Nice to nice to hear from you. Hey, Paul. Watch this. And it's Bruce Pritchard. He's like, hey Vince, I got these two sawn off little midgets from NXT. <laughs> like a former Triple H era dream match. Meaningless 15 on Raw. Now, Paul, watch this. Watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do to your best clients. Bye. Slams the phone down. Like, uh, I'll teach his uh, bitch wife for getting me sacked for bringing a gun into work in the mid 2000s. <laughs> like, all of this. So much of WWE I view through the prism of Bruce Pritchard abusing Triple H as he recovers from a cardiac event. It's so incredible. much of it. He's such an arsehole. Like, Bruce Pritchard. He's like, uh, and it's, it's triple, look, me and you, it's Triple H. Like, everybody knows. The list, if they've listened to enough podcasts on us, it's Triple H. I'm not talking about his health. I'm talking about what we believe his legacy to be. What we also agree on is that, like, for two, two and a half, maybe three years, he was an absolutely awesome booker, and we had a vision of WWE that we liked, and it was because of his, like, his vision of it, and the things he liberally stole as well. But he polished them, and they were great. He's <laughs> enjoying ripping the arse out of all of it, man. It's just gross. It's absolutely gross. He's worse than Vince because at least Vince was a great booker and television character once upon a time. Bruce Pritchard's like a worthless sack of absolute crap. <laughs> in that um, Schreiber interviews AJ Styles and Omos backstage. Um, Styles criticizes all the other tag teams, um, including Ziggler and Robert Roode. Um, they have a match upcoming that stems from the events of last week. And Styles says him and Omos are just like Loki and Iron Man. Hmm. Is, that, is that it, is it? Well, it's more, but it's more in than twins. I guess. Which is like, that's the thing, that's the tell, isn't it? If you didn't know that by feuding with the dirty dogs, they were potentially turning AJ and Omos, it was like, well, you get a reference from the 2010s, whereas the dirty dogs are left with twins from the late 80s. So you know who the heels and who the baby faces. Jesus, tap dancing Christ. Um, we. This, like, it's found footage almost of uh, the long forgotten Damien Priest. And they just mm. say, oh, he's got a match with Shinsuke Nakamura on uh, Sunday. It's official. Look forward to that. Um, then we get the AJ Styles and Amos match. They defeat Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler like in a matter of minutes. Um, it's all squash. about oh, total, squash. total squash. Total squash. And the worst thing is that they'll probably expect us to get into this match again on the post Survivor Series Raw. Um, Roode and Ziggler just get murdered by Amos. And Styles gives a phenomenal forearm to one of the dead bodies. I can't really remember, and I don't really care. Um, backstage, Lashley says that <laughs> I'm bored, man. Lashley says that Dominic shouldn't have been on Team Raw in the first place, and if anyone had a problem with him, he wasn't hard to bloody fine. Um, Roman Reigns is going to be on Jimmy Fallon on Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. The Tonight Show that he's got these days. Jimmy Fallon Late Show. show. But yeah, you know, they get huge numbers, and it's a big deal when somebody gets on there. That's yeah. cool, you know. Like that's... Imagine, I love how inept they are. They do something that's going to visibly raise the profile of the one guy who's pretty damn awesome in this company, and he's got a hype up Survivor Series. Jimmy Fallon's going to say, "Hey, Roman, tell me a little about the Survivor Series show," and then Roman's going to go, "Ah, well, <laughs> we are all on different brands." Most of which get swapped around two weeks before. You know the deal. This is going to be quite funny. Isn't it? Like. Normally, like those, I've been I'm privileged enough to see um, Seth Meyers' show get taped once. You got to cycle through like three guests, a musical act. There's typically maybe a comedy bit. There's the monologue at the start of the show. All that stuff. I'm assuming Jimmy Fallon follows all those conventions. I hope they supersized it with no commercials because Jimmy's gonna be like Roman. Great to have you. How are you doing? Acknowledge me. Jimmy, and it's like, well, that's going to take a little 20 minutes. Like, the, between the entrance, you know, and the, the live band, the after players version of his theme music, and how long it takes him to walk across that tiny stage, there's going to be no time for the other guests. Absolutely. He's going to be 
Who's going to be the musical guest? The Usos just dancing in the background for him as he walks out. Paul Heyman saying, It's not Roman will come off incredibly well. And then, yeah, people, he's great, like, then a few people who get piqued by this will go, I'm going to watch a show. And then uh, so we won't watch the show again. That's how these things work. Do a good show and it might actually matter. <laughs> Like an, an agent will call Roman. Vincent Mann will get wind of it and panic and bury him because he thinks yes. he's going to lose another one to Hollywood. Absolutely. Like, Sasha Banks did some mainstream work in, like, The Mandalorian, was it? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have known if I didn't have people in the office. No. Because they just... <laughs> class. Class, class, class. And an incredibly convenient development. There's, mm-hmm. like, a good 10-plus minutes before this match starts when we see... The first entrance, Rey Mysterio. A uh, main event for the evening is Bobby Lashley defeating Rey Mysterio in 11 minutes. It's not actually that great to start. There's um, a few botches, and yeah, it's a little bit messy actually. Uncharacteristic and um, sloppy, jalopy son of a bitch stuff from Rey Mysterio here. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say this. <laughs> I just want to say it. Um, it actually gets pretty good when you go through the various spots where it looks like Mysterio's just been absolutely killed and he does his comebacks and Rey Mysterio makes it halfway believable because he's just absolutely incredible of course and um, none of his various counters and struggles matter and he gets ensnared in the hurt lock and um, taps out for the submission win after which um Dominic comes out and checks on his dad and Adam Pierce is like, well, you suck. You can't be on the team. You're going to get replaced by someone we will name later. And that guy gets replaced in 10 seconds. And it's Austin Theory who um, drops uh, Dominic with his ATL, I think it's called, finisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pierce comes back on stage and says, let the cut of this guy's jib. Yeah. If you want uh, to go in the hot seat, well, congratulations, <laughs> because you've just joined... The Survivor Series team, and then and the show's finished. And this is the longest amount of time between me having to talk about it. I mean, I mean, it was a freezing cold conclusion to the show, isn't it? My word, my word. Um, yeah, look, they're they're behind the Austin Theory character. I quite like it when they rocket strap somebody in a, in something like this. Um, typically, what happens is Austin Theory appears on the graphic. And then six days out, Triple H pedigrees him and takes his place, or something, or equivalent. You know, Star comes in and takes his place. So I like that this is the reverse of that. They're gonna they're gonna give him a chance there. They clearly like the selfie thing, and that sort of stuff gets over because it's a good digital age character. I remember the very first time I saw that, and it was um, Alex Riley brought a phone out with him and was taking a picture of the Miz attacking John Cena. I think it was like holding him on the ropes. I thought yes, because like that is completely that speaks. To a generation of people and this selfie stuff is by no means brand new but it's something that is going to get over it's going to do numbers because i've already seen the real selfie but like when jericho did it with the camera like when you see the actual image online it's pretty cool because it's like i feel i've come into the show here that's quite nice um I honestly thought, as well we know, people at WWE that listen, we're always grateful to have you. You know, subscribe, leave us a five-star review if you want. We'll skip some of your terrible writing for you one week. But um, I honestly thought that they were going to give, of all the weeks when we've got Adam Ilborn instead of Adam Wilborn, did you see Ray riding Dominic to ringside? And WWE isolated it and put a tweet out. I should know I got tagged in it 4,000 times. Please don't stop doing that. Um, I thought this is going to be the fucking week. We talked about it on the preview. This is going to be the week. Um, to have no sold it if it had happened as well. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Calmly, calmly um, recapped what had happened with no. He'd have dragged, nah, well, he'd have dragged himself sick into work so we could take the victory lap. Um, but I, this was, yeah, uncharacteristically rubbish, I think you called it. And you'd be right. It was, I think this struggled from being positioned as a main event that nobody bought as a main event, which is less than ideal. And both of the, <laughs> when this match started, both of these men were the biggest star on the Survivor Series team. They were the biggest stars, and Adam Pearce, like, brainwave, kill each other. Stupid. Stupid worst, bollocks, man. Worst Stupid stuff, bollocks. Like, I've already struggled badly this year with how chronically uninteresting WWE is. Right? I've reached a point during Survivor Series season where I can't even, like, make fun of the stupidity. It's just... How do people like this? I've got no earthly idea. I'm not so sure they like... I, I don't know if they like WWE, but I'm, I feel confident that not many people like this brand versus brand stuff. Was it Becky Lynch that was burying it on main? She pretty much just came out and said... Like, she's Maybe got their confidence in it as well. Like There are people yeah. in 
positions of power safety. and influence and safety who just think, oh, where am I to crap this? Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at. This was a this was a terrible raw without being entertainingly bad. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, I asked a question and it was rhetorical, but you might as well answer it anyway. At what culture WWE? How on earth do you like this? And if you do like it, let us know again at what culture WWE on Twitter. Uh, whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow me at M Sidrick. Once again, you can follow us all at What Culture WWE. And yet again, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And um, we've got the NXT 2.0 dropping today. If you do, in fact, subscribe, that'll be easily, more easily accessible, rather. But until then, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon. <laughs>